Things are getting real. This is the first time in my life that I can remember a global crisis having such a huge impact on the lives of people that I care about. We are in a time where we truly do not know what's going to happen next. And this can bring up a lot of anxiety. So I am recording this as a bonus episode to address some of the reactions I've been seeing and some of the questions that I've been getting. Specifically, I wanna talk about how do we as yoga teachers respond to the escalating tensions and uncertainty in our communities? And also, how can we apply our yoga practice to this situation? As a yoga teacher, you are not just a teacher, but first and foremost, you're a practitioner of yoga. So whatever you can do to prioritize your personal practice during challenging times, it's gonna be essential for being able to show up as a leader in your community. And I'm definitely not specifically talking about asana, although asana is a tool that many find helpful, leading to the deeper practices, which to me I think of as presence and skillful action. By managing our internal worlds, we reduce some of the compulsion of adding to the drama of the moment, and we become more effective at taking the actions that will reduce suffering overall in our communities. You might be noticing somewhat of a divide in the communities themselves, specifically even in the yoga communities, between those advocating swift and definitive action and those advising more calm observation. In between the apparent dichotomy between panic and complacency, there's a framework that we can use to guide our personal response rooted in ancient and essential yogic concepts. And I'm talking about abhyasa and vairagya. Abhyasa invites consistent practice over a long period of time, and it's a reminder to take a long view of the situation. While there is a current crisis that does require decisive action, we want to take the actions that will have the most positive long-term effects. And of course, there's no way to know what's going to happen in the future, but the best current information paints a picture of a temporary crisis that can and likely will be mitigated through relatively small personal sacrifices. If you're a yoga teacher whose income depends primarily on teaching group public classes, the personal risk to your economic security might not feel small. When our livelihoods are threatened, most humans are not at their best. I know that I'm not. At, and at these moments, we really need to draw on the reserves of presence that we've built through our practice, through our abhyasa. Now, it is completely understandable and entirely human to sometimes spiral out into fear or anxiety because it's called a practice. It's not called a perfect. So if you catch yourself in a pattern of fear, a pattern of anxiety, scatteredness or stuckness, there's no need to make it worse by feeling like you should have the tools to do better. Instead, turn to the tools you do have and do your best in the next moment. What is it that helps you connect to the part of you that is unchanging and needs nothing? I'm talking about the part of you that knows you are going to die and is totally okay with it because it's from that place of fearlessness that we can truly take skillful action. 
inside the yoga system, the partner of Abhyasa is Vairagya. And Vairagya reminds us that we do not have control over the results, the fruits of our actions. None of us know what the future holds. And an attachment to micromanaging what's going to happen in the future or the need to know, the attachment to knowing is going to lead to suffering because we just can't. It's not possible. As we take consistent action in the best way we know how, abhyasa, we also let go of predicting or controlling the results of that action, vairagya. Literally, vairagya means without color. The implication is that we're constantly coloring reality with perceptions that are incomplete and stories that are one-sided. So to practice vairagya is to deal with reality as it is in a more essential way. The human brain is primarily motivated by feelings. We want to feel things like safety, security, happiness, joy, and belonging. And we want to avoid feeling fear, insecurity, dread, doubt, and isolation. But both types of feelings are guaranteed in the human experience. There's no way to avoid feeling uncomfortable and even painful feelings if you are alive and in a body. Now we've all developed strategies for avoiding feelings that we label negative. And some of these strategies have primarily positive side effects like exercise, meditation, and intimacy with other humans, while other strategies have negative and even potentially life-threatening side effects such as overeating, undereating, substance abuse, and even criticizing and judging others to make ourselves feel better. Side note, this is not an exhaustive list and the positive versus negative categories aren't clear because potentially positive strategies like exercise and intimacy can also be abused. So these coping mechanisms, they're not inherently bad, wrong, or problematic. It's not a moral failing to turn on Netflix and veg out after a long day, nor to have a glass of wine after dinner to take the edge off. The problem is that a lot of these coping mechanisms are just short-sighted. They temporarily push away the uncomfortable feelings, but in the long term, they lead to more suffering, whether those suffering are through side effects or through the fact that you cannot avoid feeling uncomfortable. So the more you push it away, the more it actually builds. This is where our magnificent executive function capacity comes in. The area of our brains in the front and the center the prefrontal cortex enables us to predict the future consequences of current actions. When our prefrontal cortex is in control, we create and follow through on strategies that rely upon positive habits, meaning habits with positive side effects for dealing with stress and anxiety. However, when stress levels are really high, the prefrontal cortex gets overshadowed by other parts of the brain, specifically the limbic system. The limbic system is responsible for determining the safety of our situation and taking instinctive action to preserve that safety if there is a perception of threat. As a survival mechanism, the limbic system is pretty easily activated and it will overshadow the prefrontal cortex because as you can imagine, it's a lot more dangerous to not perceive a threat that's actually there than it is to perceive a threat that isn't there. If you've ever found yourself yelling at a loved one without even making the conscious decision to do so, you know what it feels like 
for your rational mind to be hijacked by your limbic system. The state of panic and anxiety that occurs when your limbic system is activated is opposite to the state of connection and presence that we seek to create through yoga. And the irony is that the more we seek to push away fear, anxiety, and other uncomfortable emotions, the more likely we are to make poor decisions that exacerbate our situation in the long run. So I believe that part of vairagya is doing what we can to stay in our rational brain so that we can feel whatever it is we feel, but not let avoiding feelings in the short term make us take actions that sabotage our well-being in the long run. And this means making some space in your life to actually feel those challenging feelings while maintaining some perspective on them as they're happening. Uncomfortable feelings themselves are not the same as danger. When you give yourself permission, or maybe it would be more accurate to say a gentle nudge to actually feel the fullness of the raw, challenging feelings without feeding them the stories that are causing them, that is vairagya. And when you do this, when you pay attention to what a feeling, what the experience of a feeling is like, instead of the story that continues to generate the feeling over and over, the feeling tends to fade in intensity quite quickly, and you'll be able to feel through the feeling to the more centered place at your essence. Now, if you do find yourself in a spiral where you make space for the feelings that you're running from, and you sit with them and you observe them as they are without stories, and you find that they actually get worse instead of better, that's probably a signal to reach out to a mental health professional and get outside help from somebody who's qualified to evaluate whether there's something deeper going on than just a temporarily overwhelmed limbic system. So what does this look like on a practical level? First of all, like I said in the beginning, your self-care is more essential than ever. So whatever you can do to preserve that do it. Give yourself some dedicated space and dedicated time to feel all the feelings that are present for you. This is a perfect thing to incorporate into a daily practice if you already have a habit of one. If you do notice that you are in an activated state, don't make big decisions. Reach out to your loved ones for co-regulation when you need it. Co-regulation is basically a hug that's focused on relaxation. And as you feel the person you're hugging relax, it'll trigger your nervous system to do the same and vice versa. When you are fully resourced, calm, and present, those are the moments to make decisions around how to act in service of long-term good and greater good. It is during these more resourced times that you'll be able to better determine what short-term sacrifices you can afford to make and also what hidden opportunities you might be able to discover in this situation. For example, this might be the perfect time to learn how to teach online or dive into online learning. Perhaps the situation will force you to let go of classes that are draining and in the long run, you might replace them with ways to teach that are more sustainable. I hope you know that whether you're able to teach your classes in person or not, Your commitment to your practice is making a difference in the world. 
in times of crisis, we see both the best in humanity and also the worst. I hope you'll join me in focusing on the best and attempting to be part of the solution. If you want to stay connected with me and with other members of this community, make sure to join the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group and also my email list, which are available at teachingyoga.net slash join. Thank you for caring enough to be a yoga teacher. I know as well as anyone that a commitment to awareness in the present moment reality and abhyasa vairagya, it's not the easy path. And there's so many moments that I personally just want to cave to my limbic system. And of course I do sometimes, maybe more than just sometimes. But those moments when I'm able to access the deeper truth of who I am, they give me hope and not just hope for myself, but hope for all of us. So thank you for listening and thank you for choosing to practice and to be an example the best that you can of staying centered and connected to the place inside you that is whole and needs nothing, while also taking whatever steps you are able to take to preserve the health of the most vulnerable in your community. One thing that I think is just incredible about the time we live in now is how much we're able to stay connected to each other, even if we do go into isolation. I am here for you in any and every way that I know how to be. And as the situation continues to evolve, I will share whatever resources I find to be personally helpful. So thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach and to practice.